starts always with demand. You know, who am I serving? So you got to always come back to it, no matter how intelligent we think we are about development or what the opportunities are, and we're all excited. What's the demand? Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. So I'm here today with Paul Griffin III. Paul is the CEO of Griffin Living, based in Calabasas, California. And Griffin Living builds residences for senior living. Is that correct, Paul? That is our main thrust these days. We're a real estate development company. And we, through our careers, have done mostly master plan communities, two to 5,000 houses per community, neighborhood shopping centers, suburban retail office kind of thing, park schools, all that. So we're really following the segment of families and the needs that they might have, the demand segment for families. And all that's really happened on is we just evolved into uh, <laughs> all those families that we build houses for, they all now need somewhere to go as they're getting older and they have a different demand structure and the demand really isn't being met with supplies. So we're transitioning with it. However, we still do have apartments and some offices and we still do have retail centers that we're trying to rehab it and make more relevant in the modern economy with COVID's always a a wonder about what that really is. Or what's yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Now, Paul, tell the audience a little bit about, I know that you come from a family background, a family of builders, right? And so you're just the latest generation of that building family. And you mentioned earlier, your family started building homes for young adults and residential and commercial also. But when did that begin? Tell us how in 30 seconds, the beginning to the end. <laughs> sure, sure. My great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandmother's fathers both came to California and uh, started building and selling houses in uh, 1903. And that was the uh, the start of it. I think they were guys that had been in banking and saving loan kind of banking, or they would call it that back in 1900. But they came here because through the 20th century, demand for housing and families was always so great and California grew you know, the Griffins aren't so smart. We just were here and the things worked well and we continued to participate and grew through the generation. So I amount right. to generation number five. And generation number five. That's fantastic. That's great. That's funny because there are very few of us, Paul. My son is fifth generation Californian also, and there are very few that kind of fall into that category, I think, right now. So congratulations on that. So tell us, if you can, Paul, a little bit about the trends you have seen in building, but in particular, the senior living building. I think it's a great question and how we transitioned into it. Senior housing is, uh, there's a tremendous demand and need because we have a population aging so quickly as baby boomers are coming of age. So the first boomers are just turning 75 years old. And so that is about where we see needs for different kinds of senior housing really start. And we started it because back in 2010, there was no money and there wasn't any capital around. And, you know, we needed 30 to $50 million per project and capital. So it's not like I could just go to a neighborhood or a, you know, regional bank and really arrange financing. We needed more. <laughs> so we ended up in Beijing and I ended up doing business with a Chinese company that could borrow money that American corporations. So it could be legal for me to do business with them here, but I spent all my time in Beijing borrowing money from a Chinese company here in the U.S. that was borrowing your money from Import-Export Bank of China. So 
they were very interested in senior housing because the senior population in China is just vast. So just take everything in the United States and multiply it times 10. Is what yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, it's got to be huge out there. And that started us into projects that they were excited about putting money into, which were senior housing of different kinds. But we started with active adult and, you know, really did it because it, the money was there and we had the, the property and we could develop it. But as we got into active adult, we found that the demand was very steady and it was growing. And fun things operationally about active adult, we had a speed dating for seniors night. Or <laughs> yeah. There was traffic back up. The police had to come and close a boulevard and the news cameras came out and local evening news out there. And it, it really showed me as the CEO, my gosh, we're really not paying enough attention to the demand really here for senior housing. Yeah. That got us into all segments of seniors with housing, which doesn't come with a lot of activities with it, but it needs a lot more activity and much nicer than, say, family apartments. Right. Uh, then you go into independent living, and we studied that for a while. I thought, gosh, independent living in, in many of the places I found it were coastal here in California. There's some great places in Mideast, up in Chicago, so in Dallas. The independent living is really a, a more of a luxury kind of a decision. It right. comes with all sorts of amenities, but you don't move to independent living because you have to. You move there because, gosh, I don't want to take care of the house anymore. The people that are moving in with are people like myself and my wife. Or they have done interesting things. I'm glad to have cocktails with them before dinner in the evening, but I don't have to. I can relate to these guys and I can spend time with them and the activities and all the rest of it and possibly still go to work two or three days of work, whatever I want to do. Yeah. Then the, the next level past that is into uh, assisted living, which assisted living has all sorts of striations, but the, the kind of lower cost where you get the Filipino family that might run a five or six bedroom house in, in a local community and they take good care. The husband is the groundskeeper, might be the chef, and the wife might be the caregiver and the cleaning service. And it's a very inexpensive way to approach assisted living in a needs base. Then you go to larger operators that produce assisted living or families that are really cost-driven. So I look at needs-based senior housing, a little bit like university when our kids were in college. It didn't really matter if there was a recession on or not. We know we had to find the resources to have them be in college when it was time for college. It right, just like when, it, when it's time for your parents to go off or for you to go off to another facility, that time clock is going to keep going no matter what the economy is doing out there. And so it's there's not. a need for it all the time, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, needs-based, exactly. The time yeah. is now. So the strata would be like your local junior college would be a cheap way to start. The local state college might be another way that's also affordable or you might go to one of the universities or what have you, but there's striations when you need college, no matter who you are, to find a way. It's the same thing for assisted living. You're really looking at somebody who's probably in a profile, that, you know, the age cohort, they're probably in their 80s, not their yeah. mid-70s or more independent or active adult. Have and, more and we're all living longer these days too. So, I mean, you can stay active, very active in your 80s and you don't want to be necessarily encumbered by a huge home that you rose your family in. And so let's move off to another facility where there are people like me that we can have fun with and enjoy the latter part of our years like that. In the assisted living, there is a striation we call transitional care, which is into memory care. So we're having people live longer. Our hearts are better. We've got the statin drugs. We're not dropping over dead as fast. Cancer is still a huge threat, but we're dealing with it better and better by lifestyle and what have you. 
we're having memory care issues because we're living longer and memory care i think is the next huge fight and we're saying it is is we're meeting demand for seniors we're finding seniors who are not completely in dementia they're not not in dementia so we call them transitional care needs based you're really worried mom's going to burn the house down or forget and wander up, but she is not, doesn't need to be locked down. Yeah. She needs help. So illustrations are very interesting, evolving, and the need is growing as boomers are starting to move in. Right. I can see that need growing. And, and it's interesting that you bring up the memory care thing because I hadn't realized it, but I can see that in several of the people that I know and relatives who have had that. And I can see where that should be addressed and could be addressed by, by what you're building out there because there is a need for it. So that's a great aspect to it. Paul, I'd like to shift a little bit now and talk about the challenges that you have faced, in particular, the challenges of perhaps building a senior living facility, a luxury senior living facilities in cities. I mean, tell our audience a little bit about what that means or what that challenge is and then how you overcame that challenge. That's a great question. And um, our expertise, the Griffin's expertise, has really always been solving problems, which in the second half of the 20th century till today has always been to deal with an anti-development mentality. In anti-development, you know, there's good reasons for anti-development, the negative externalities, bad development that's done, all the rest of it. And there are other reasons why, on the other side of it, the families or people, seniors now have needs, and it isn't really fair for people to say, well, I own a house or I live here, and therefore I'll vote the rest of you out of here, you know, go somewhere else, I don't care where you go. And our value is to really get to know all of the uh, stakeholders in those arguments and get them to trust us, not that we can't enforce or force our will. We don't try to force our will on a local group. We go in and we try to really listen to them. We try to get them to understand yet both sides of the argument and working with them, find some sort of happy medium. So in senior housing, what we found is there's a lot of fear about if we put up a senior housing building in a, a suburban city or an urban city, the fear is that, gosh, what we're really creating is a hospital or a, a nursing home. There's ambulances in and out. There's people dying. There's sick. There's traffic. All kinds of, of fear about it. And what we at Griffin try to do is talk to the local politicians who are the employees, really, of the citizens. So also get to know the constituents, the people living in the city, in the area that we're talking about. And get them to really understand the facts about seniors. Assisted living isn't skilled nursing. It's not a hospital. There's not sirens running in and out. You know, emergency vehicles are not blaring. And the good employees, 100-unit defensive assisted living transitional skilled memory care unit has 50 full-time employees, but they break over three shifts because they have to be 24-7. We have to have the help there. So it's really not a lot of people coming in and out. Our seniors themselves in defensive housing that we're talking about, they don't drive anymore. So, so Paul, are you saying that cities are, is it because they're not zoned for this kind of building or is it just because the, the people are ignorant and don't know they don't want this there or both? It's actually both. Zoning is set up for generally how a city wants their general plan to work and we want to stay within it and then talk about is there a reason for a small exception in this particular area for this kind of a project. And we're talking big master plan communities that we used to do. They were major. They would take us years. And uh, last big one we did, I think I had $35 million of my money into it because people don't 
loan you money for entitlement. It's all risk. Right. It's um, a huge it's risk. Getting... It takes, takes a lot of time, as you mentioned also. And it's a large geographic area, too, that, that you're talking about impacting in a neighborhood. Where you are in Calabasas, I imagine if you wanted to build something in Calabasas, you have a lot of luxury homes, beautiful homes out there, some commercial buildings, but you have to find a large swath of land that you could build this onto and then do everything you need to do. That's got to take an awful lot of time to do. Calabasas is a great example. This is a great city right here in the corner of Los Angeles, part of the Los Angeles MSA, but it is its own city. It's quite wealthy. Got all of the amenities that you want to have to live in a city. If it was by itself, we're really happy to be here. Calabasas with the wealthy, they also have the same anxiety about putting senior housing in and disturbing the wealthy families that are here or the shopping or any other part of it. However, Calabasas is also a great example, and the city is aging, and the demand that we would be building to actually currently live in the city. And we're talking about housing, senior housing for their current residents. And so as we get our constituents in the city, the stakeholders in the, in the real estate development in the city to understand what we're really talking about is housing for your people, services for your own people. We're not like Griffin would usually do, going and creating a whole community and bringing people in from regional areas, other states to create a city. This really is something else. This is housing for your own people. So yeah. the, then the question is dealing with the externalities. But Calabasas would be an excellent example. It still take you a couple of years and a couple million bucks to really get it approved. And you want to know. There was one that a group of attorneys controlled that I know of in a different part of Los Angeles here. Uh, we worked on it with the neighbors and with the local councilmen and found it was just impossible. We explained it to the owners. Just sure enough, went around to another national group of senior developer, got them to put about a half a million dollars chasing down the entitlement to get the same answer. You know, so there is also, understand there is an expertise to it. Everybody is welcome to do it. We don't have a corner on the only way to do it, but you got to be careful. We get told no. Yeah. And when the answer, you got to know enough to say no in this case means no. Right. Or no in that case might mean, well, it's not really no, we can get it done. Right. right. The risk in getting it done is mine if I'm a developer. Right. There's a low barrier of entry. As long as you have millions of dollars you can throw at it, there's a low barrier of entry, right? Well, and the question is, you know, I walk away from a couple hundred thousand dollars on the project that we get into and tie up and we dig into it. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. Wanted to get it towards a half a million or more. Beyond that, I haven't. Well, I did. I got tagged on one about 10 years ago up in Monterey. We had, um, I don't know, $14 million in it or so. And we finally just said it's, we had won the entitlements, but the legal challenges, usually we managed to get through, but we put up the white flag and said, that's not the right place to do it. So you've got to know, have a sense of how the arguments are going to go and know your markets. Right. I love going into the Southeast <laughs> cities. We are going to say, that's a really tough entitlement battle. That might take you Nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Compared to California, piece of cake. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, it's interesting because as a CEO, I mean, what you just said, I think was very important that for others to learn from you. And that's really when to call it quits. I mean, you may be vested into this thing emotionally and financially, but you have to know that at some point in time, it's just worth it to pull up the white flag and let's move on. Really, Don, it starts always with demand. You know, who am I serving? So you got to always come back to it, no matter how intelligent we think we are about development or what the opportunities are and we're all excited what's the demand who needs this housing is it an increasing demand is it under supplied and what do i uniquely bring to this demand that other people cannot so i've got a reason for existing 
And our reason, which we brought right to the conversation is, we can go into suburban markets, urban markets around the country. We're up in Connecticut in a project that we've been working on for about four years, the entitlements are here. We're not in Chicago or Dallas, but I'd like to get into those markets. We're in Atlanta and down in Boca Raton. Boca's got a really good neighborhood, a, a good city kind of community and a constituent that really is very active and gets in the middle of projects. So we want to understand how we might go and add value to those. When you're really coming into building buildings, you can do general contracting and build all sorts of structures and on time and on budget, but that's not really something that's unique to us. A lot of people could do that. Right. In terms of managing and caring for seniors, we're working with, there are many really good companies at it. People that I, I'm just so impressed with their work. We're working with a couple of groups that are managing for us, but in, in that case, so it's the same thing with general contracting. We have to know the business as well as third-party consultant, a general contractor we might be, we need to be able to actually do it ourselves. Right. Happy right. with what they're doing. And in the terms of third-party operations, the, the caregiving, the, the food services being animated, the activities during the day, the, the house cleaning, the COVID yeah. uh, protections we're putting is we've got it, we must be able to do it as well as or better than our third party. So that it, if I'm using a third party to actually manage for us, they're really doing it as a matter of what is the return on investment from my money into more into management in this area. But if I'm going to outsource it as consulting, I know I'm going to pay a little bit more per dollar of income, right. but I've got to know that it's being done the way that actually I'm happy with. And so it makes us gain an expertise and look at it, always visiting other projects and thinking, my gosh, that's great. How did you guys, you know, I'm here in New Mexico looking at property and how did you guys do that? I'm just so impressed with what you're accomplishing and this is where we might fit in. And Yeah, that's great, Paul. And I think that's great advice for our listeners to hear from you about what you had to go through and what you did. And I think it's a great place to end it on that. Also, I know in the show notes, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, we'll put LinkedIn and ways to get in touch with you guys to find out more or if they want to reach out to for advice or if they have a project in their neighborhood they'd like to have you come in and talk to them so appreciate that i've always found through my grandfather my dad's generation of mine i love talking to other people in business and hearing what your thoughts are and what i might be missing or what you might be missing i just think there's so much to gain from conversation everybody has something interesting to add so people that might be listening to us today and say i got a better idea or how about my idea i'm glad to talk about it yeah, we'll put it in the show notes at the bottom there. Thanks. Thanks so much. It's been great talking today. I'm so glad to meet you, Don. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.